Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week's guest is Nikki Aldam. Nikki is originally from South Africa, and she works with Mercy Ships. If you don't know, it's an organization. They have literal ships that go and provide humanitarian aid and medical help to countries that don't necessarily have that as much. And so she actually doesn't do anything on the medical side of things. She is a teacher, and so she helps with education. But she has this incredible story, an incredible story of God's healing in her life unexpectedly um, in a time when God did something for her that she couldn't do for herself. And that has given her this passion for bringing the same type of healing and restoration to others. I hope that as you listen today that you're encouraged just by her as a person and inspired by her story um, because it all points back to God and he's the same God for her that she is for you, that she that he is for me. And it really, her story just, it's not about her. It is her story, but it's about God and what he can do and what he does do for us and who he is to us. And I love just everything about the way that she tells her story and points it back to God. And so I'm going to stop talking and we'll just get straight into the interview, but I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a, it's a privilege to come on and share with you. Of course. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear some of your story today. But before we get into that, could you just share with our listeners a little bit about where you're at right now, what your daily life looks like, kind of anything uh, relevant there? Excellent. Well, currently physically located um, in Texas, I've been here for about seven or eight years um, as part of a ministry by the name of Mercy Shifts. Um, prior to that, I've been serving with them for 16 years, almost, um, uh, mainly uh, on their ships in Africa and then transferred here. I'm originally from South Africa, but call Lindell, Texas home for now. Wow. So can you share a little bit about what Mercy Ships is, what they do and what you did with them? Yeah. I mean, we might get more into the story there, but just a little bit of context. No, absolutely. So I, I, Mercy Ships is a medical, well, it's a organization that offers um, free surgeries from their hospital ships in, Af- in sort of West and Central Africa. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not a medical person at all. I'm a teacher. Um, and so when I served on board their ships, I served in the academy initially as a teacher and then as principal. And then what I'm doing now is supporting the ships and have the, the fancy title of superintendent because we have two ships, there's two schools. Um, this is a recent development this past year so very exciting to be part of that and just to support the families that are serving in full-time on board our volunteer ships as as they serve the people of Africa yeah well nice so I would love to hear sort of your story just however whatever point you want to start us off just some of the things that have made you into who you are and gotten you here today um can you share some of that with us today Sure. Uh, it's more the selection of, you know, God has an amazing way of teaching us 
so much um, through the good times, but I think I've discovered more of who he is through the sort of hardest seasons in my life. So that's kind of the things that come to mind, partly because I think that's where I have got to know his character and his love and his grace and his mercy. Um, so that's really, um, yeah, probably most of my stories are going to be the hard parts, but it's how God just worked in those and, you know, even to the extent now where I wouldn't want to swap out any of those seasons because I would miss learning and what I've discovered about who God is and what he's doing and how he works. Um, so I think the, the the story that I'd love to start with is, what, is one probably that happened at a season of change where I was so excited about things that were coming. It was when I was um, 22 and I just finished studying and I was going to be a teacher. And it was that the, the season between finishing studying and starting my career as a teacher. In South Africa, the school year, year runs from January to December. So this was this story centers around what happened over um, sort of New Year between those seasons. And um, yeah, it was, as I said, a season of kind of change, but also expectation of good things that were just going to come. You know, finally we were growing up and finally um, just felt like life was going to start. And part of that was was also the, the ending of seasons and chapters as well, you know, kind of student life, kind of, you know, moving into adulting and whatever that looked like. And over, uh, we were lucky enough, I was lucky enough to have a group of friends that mo- for most holidays we we kind of, I don't know whether it's the right thing to say or not, but we very borrowed and stole holiday houses or places to go. And we would spend some of our vacation time together at these things and uh, at somebody's holiday house or at a different place that we could find. And um, this, the, in this season, we were able to go to a friend's um, cottage in the middle of um, a, a rainforest kind of or tropical forest and some forest anyway it was kind of rural it was a bit of the out of the way and we had spent the spent from just after Christmas across the through New Year um, at this beautiful remote place um, it was a house that was sort of on the edge of a river in the middle of a forest kind of experience and it was fairly idyllic and we had, we just had a wonderful time kind of at the season of change, many of us were at the same point, and it was kind of the last, was it the last hurrah? But it was definitely we had this anticipation of life was changing, um, and part of this was always adventures and probably you know we still were very much student thinking and kind of nothing really scared us. And one of the things that we did, well, I would say we, I didn't do this part, but kind of we we constructed a zipline. Um, from the house across the river that we could use. And and the house was kind of probably about at least 10 metres or sort of uh, 30 feet back from the the river. But the the biggest, the most secure tree that we could find was was really on the edge of the house. So it was quite a far back. Um, I'll move through forward. So this zip line was connected there. I am by nature not the most adventurous person. I'll I'll do things, but it takes a while. And so it took me the whole week to kind of get to a point where I was ready to do this. And um, one of the things that we did during those adventures was there was like a a photograph that everybody had to get. And this time for this week was kind of coming down the zip line. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, 
be a party pooper, you know, and I kind of don't want to not do it, but it kind of, okay, let's do this. And kind of there was a lot of support and a lot of like cheering, oh, we can do it, we'll, we'll help you. It did involve a little bit of climbing onto deck railings and up trees and anyway, we did it and kind of, it was just a tea bar and that we kind of had this, as I said, the zip line constructed right across the river. And the idea was that we would go down, land in the water, big photo, big splash, big photograph, and then kind of be done. Um, and so the first time I went, this is what we did, and we kind of went up and it was um, kind of, the, just to give a context, literally my bag was packed and in my car. That's how long I had left it to kind of get there. Anyway. The net result was went down, big splash, big hurrah, but kind of as I got, was coming out the river and getting out the water and really, okay, I'm ready to go now. So, oh, we didn't get the photo. Can you do it again? Oh, oh okay. Do, I can do it again. Probably a little bit overconfident that the same route um, held onto the bar, to the T-bar, went across again. And this time I didn't make it into the river and I fell in that sort of gap between the house and the river, which was it was kind of a five meter, fifteen feet drop wow. in points, um, and just yeah, pain. Like I land, ended up landing sort of on my hip, and just kind of heard heard this cracking sound, and then just immense pain, and just kind of overwhelmed. Probably didn't respond in the moment the best I could have, but it was just I couldn't move, I couldn't do anything, and. It was pretty pretty loud, I'm sure, at the time. But um, yeah, and what transpired from that was kind of a long wait for. This was the second of January. It was right after New Year's. Um, it was kind of a busy day. Had to wait about two to three hours for the ambulance to to like to make its way there. And it was just a lot of waiting and a lot of pain. Then it was being taken to the hospital over gravel roads and. Yeah, just kind of got to, I remember, I know that I can recall, it happened about 2.30 in the afternoon and I know that I got pain medication for the first time at 8 o'clock that night and it was just, yeah, nobody knew what was happening. We just kind of, I knew something, you know, something wasn't right. Um, They did x-rays, they did things that night and kind of determined that I had I definitely fractured one of the vertebrae in my in my back, but everything was going to be fine. I would just need to wait for for well, lie on my back for six weeks, and then it would kind of ride itself. So, <laughs> in the awful. meantime, my folk, my my dad and my brother it was the week before my brother's wedding, <laughs> but he came up. They were driving up. We're about five hours from home or Cape Town where I lived and they were they left early that Sunday morning to come and kind of pick me up and the idea was that I would just lie down in our sort of we call it a a combi but like a a van kind of thing and it'll all be fine you know there was nothing much the next morning my my dad and my brother arrived and they just said like before um before you go we would just love to do a more in-depth scan and they had just got as it was many years ago, but they just got a, a 3D CT scanner and they said, you've got insurance, you've got everything, let's, can we just check? I said, well, there's no harm in checking. Um, so the same paramedics who had helped me, it was a rural hospital, but the same paramedics who had helped me the day before um, were there to help me in, get into this CT scanner. Well, lie down, but you know what I mean, stretch it down. Um, when I came out, there were nine people waiting there and I was like, hmm, I think this is not 
quiet. And it was just that everybody's face was really worried. And thankfully, what the what the scan well, thankfully in many ways, but what the scan had shown was that my vertebrae, my L1 vertebrae had actually exploded oh. and kind of had burst into five different fragments and was compromising my spinal cord by 80%. Um, by the time I got back to, to the room, I had lost the function of my of my right leg and it was kind of, they were just very cautious of moving me at all in that sense. So anyway, plan of change was no longer the drive home, I was going to be airlifted back to Cape Town and go straight to the spinal rehab unit and they would do the assessment there. Um, and yeah, quite a terrifying experience you know, and just realizing that in that moment that, okay, the things that when I'd been excited about, about just all suddenly just became very unclear, you know, what, what would the future hold? Um, and yeah, just the days kind of blurred into to many things, but over the course of that week was airlifted back, reassessed, kept losing function um, and just kind of like just like okay well, when is this going to stop they determined that a surgery was the only way to go to mechanically stabilize my spine and to reconstruct and do a bone graft and so that you kind of got to do what you got to do kind of thing had an amazing team um but there was just was a lot of a lot of speed around a lot of things at that time and also just so much um so ended up having the surgery my my parents even though they kind of got more information than I did at the time but it was as I said it it was a blow for me but um kind of went into the surgery with the hope of coming out with them having able to stabilize where I was so I, the best way to describe it is I could move my legs but it was a bit like throwing around when your legs fall asleep well by the right way I could move it all at that point but it was like they were just heavy and it was like almost like they fall fallen asleep um I could move them but with no accuracy <laughs> if that was anything so but I thought oh well I still could move my legs so that was a good thing on my one leg anyway um and went into the surgery and so that's what they're hoping to maintain so during the surgery they woke me up halfway um, to test because they had removed all the bone fragments and kind of before they did the final thing, they just wanted to see how much, you know, what nerves were or weren't affected. And, you know, surprisingly, I could move both legs by the, in the middle of the surgery, which was amazing. And, yes, yeah, so that was like the first, like, obviously everything's going to be fine. This is great. Um, did the, they finished up the surgery, but... I had to wait two weeks before I could start any sort of rehab and I had to lie dead still and be part of this. And also I had to wait for the delivery of a full sort of body brace that they kind of molded around you. So that was the next move was the waiting for this, for this brace. Um, yeah. And kind of was this whole wait and anticipation, but in my mind, I can move for both my legs. Everything's fine. And really was surrounded by friends and family eventually they kind of had to limit the, the amount of visitors I was getting because I was disturbing everybody in the hospital um <laughs> but I was just waiting for that brace to arrive you know as as life works out uh, the, the gentleman who made it delivered it at like seven o'clock one night at uh, the night and I was like okay I'm going to get into it and get going life you know the mood now um and sadly that kind of it the nurses kind of 
gave me a reality check and said, tomorrow's great. Okay. So tomorrow came, jumped in, was very confident that I was going to just jump up and start walking again. Um, and all I needed was this brace on because I could move my legs. They could, you know, they went great, but they could move them. We could, we're going to get going now. Um, and got the brace on, told them I was fine and sort of got off the bed and they kind of, it was, it was a, as I said, probably I was over enthusiastic, but ended up flat on the floor. And I was like, Ooh, this didn't go according to plan. Um, and the result was the doctor coming to Nikki, but we didn't ever tell you, you would be able to walk. And it was just, I hadn't heard those words, whether they had said it or not. Um, kind of, I hadn't heard that, that that was the next season of my life, that I wouldn't be able to walk. And it was just soul destroying because I had just everything was, it was going to be okay. And it wasn't. And kind of, I didn't, in all of this, God had been so, like, I just, felt his presence because of through friends, through people supporting, just just knowing that he's good and that he had moved, like, just so many ways that he had been moving. And then just to hear that that was just, oh, wow. You know, and it was just, I didn't know where to put myself, you know, if that made sense. I didn't know where to put my head or my heart. Um, and just kind of this really devastating reality. And so... What followed were a couple of weeks of um, were weeks of being in the rehab unit where you have these incredible services, physio and occupational therapy, and really just the long term range was that it was going to be I was going to be there for about six months, and I was going to learn how to how to maneuver in and out of a wheelchair, get get used to what wheelchair life would would be like, and. That doesn't didn't it didn't match with what I thought my life would work out and be like. Um, and there was, if I'm honest, like just I, I just didn't know how to speak to God in those moments because I just didn't know how to say, like, you know, part of it was also there's all these things that you get told your whole, you know, in your faithful, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. In that moment, it felt like more than I could handle. Um, and I just didn't know how to be what I thought God was asking me to be. How could I be strong enough or would or persevere enough or how, how do how do I how do I do this? Um was kind of that and where yeah. So as I said, the weeks kind of followed and just was this a huge yeah, it was hard and I and I felt really many things, disappointed, lost. Some days I just didn't feel anything, you know, kind of it was just this season and kind of, um, yeah, part of the routine of the rehab was that they would vlog roll you and every um, sort of four to, four to six hours because to prevent bed sores because most of the patients were, you know, were far worse than I were, <laughs> you know, so I was really lucky in many ways that I, I could get into, I was in my wheelchair, I wasn't, yeah, anyway, I, there were a lot of things to be grateful for, even if I couldn't see them at that moment. But it was hard not having your sleep interrupted all, you know, two or three times a night as you kind of do all the patients in, in the room, in the ward that we were in. Um, and after one of these these episodes, I was just, I kind of, I guess, rest, reached breaking points and I just kind of, I just didn't know, as I said, I didn't know where to put myself. 
And so one of the things that was, I just kind of in that moment said, okay, God, you've asked me to do many things and these many other aspects. This wasn't the first time I felt like it wasn't the first hard thing I'd been to, but it was the hardest thing. Um, and it was kind of God, okay, how you're good and this doesn't feel good. Um, um, but it was, and also just that whole sense of like you, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I just felt like a complete failure. Like I can't, I can't do this. Um, and that really was the essence of my prayer, my cry. It wasn't a prayer. It was God, I can't do this. You've asked me to do something I can't do. And kind of in that moment in the darkness, in the middle of the night, what I heard back was, well, then get up and walk. And it was a voice I'd never heard before, but I knew so well. Um, and it was just this, I I just was this moment of, of clarity and that, well, okay, okay, get up and walk. And and again, hearing it and like, okay, now what do I do with that? <laughs> you know, and, but yet there was complete peace around it. I just didn't know what I had to do in that moment. And kind of was also, to be honest, there was a part of me going, this, did I really hear that? Like what, like, okay. Um, and so what I did was I kind of tried to distract myself and I, I lent onto that or grabbed the closest book that I could find and I kind of flipped it over and, and it was Max Licato's book on He Still Moves Stones, which is, is just an amazing collection of God's testimonies and miracles in people's lives. And I opened the, the one chapter um, I'm actually going to look back what it is, but it, but it, and it was related to the to the, the woman um, who who had bled for twelve years in, in Luke chapter eight, and kind of the whole message that was reminding what I well, what I can remember from it was reading her story and reading um, that she not only believed, but she also knew that she had to. There was an action required that was part of her faith journey, and that was to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak. And that it wasn't conditional and God could have moved in other ways, but what he was asking her to do was have both the faith and trust and the belief, but also the action that she needed to do. And for her, that was reaching out. And kind of, yeah, the next morning, fell asleep after that and kind of, again, kind of woke up the next morning, just with the sense of incredible peace for the first time in a long time and just didn't know what my piece was um, clearly at that point. And it was the same morning routine of the nurses helping you get dressed into the brace, bumping into the same doorways with the wheelchair. Kind of, I hadn't quite perfected the art. I had to make myself make my own way to the, to breakfast. And as I was walking past the, well, not walking, wheeling past the nurses station, one of the nurses' aides said to me, so Nikki, you're going to get up and walk today. And he was kind of reprimanded by all the like the nurses around him because surely you don't say that, you know, in a spinal unit. But but he it was a guide reminding me of what he had said the night before. And I'm like, okay. Got finished breakfast, got down to the rehab, which was on a different floor. Um, and for some reason, the scheduling had gone haywire that day. All 26 patients were all there at the same time rather than divided up. So it was kind of chaos in the room. 
And they just said, Nikki, you're fine. We're just going to wheel you. Can you just wait? And I said, oh, nothing else to do. And when I looked up where they had wheeled me was right in front of the parallel bars. And I was like, okay, this is where this is where I am. And kind of just had an overwhelming sense of just somebody standing next, next week. There was no one there, but just this sense. And then kind of, again, heard that voice, well, okay, get up and walk. And it was just like, I, I did. I just didn't. I just knew that I had to do it, and I, like it was illogical. It was against thought. Um, it was against reason, even, and just kind of this ongoing. Well, you can do it. And like the first thing was was lifting this those kind of steps of the wheelchair. I had no strength in my ankles, but I could lift them. Um, could reach out and hold on to each of the parallel bars, and I could put, was able. You know. To, I've got no idea how much time this took, but it was almost this bubble and kind of with each step came more strength and with each action came more. So I was able to pull myself up and my, my, my right leg was always more affected than my left leg. And so that was kind of dragging as I stood up and leaning heavily on the parallel bars and kind of, but kind of made my way to the, through to the end of the parallel walls and kind of turn around and as I said with each step was standing up told I was leaning less um and I kind of got to back to you know did the two laps no one saw me there were probably about 40 other people in the room but no one saw me do this um and it was just this continuous thing I was like okay now now what now what do I do and so what was kind of a sense of humor was like oh how about no hands um and I was like well nothing to lose so I kind of let go and I walked through the through the parallel pause again and my physio that I had been working with was working with another patient on the mat and I'm like oh I'm not as well so I walked out and I, I probably got a bit cheeky and I walked up to her and I, I tapped her on the shoulder and that's kind of when the bubble burst and like everybody kind of could see and it was like nobody kind of knew what to do and I just said well I don't think I need to be here Can, do you mind if I go kind of thing and like nurses aides were like diving and like I'm fine I'm okay um and kind of she said well you know nobody yeah she just said well I guess so so I managed to get my wheelchair and push it out of the rehab unit and made myself made my way back up to the wards and we had to take an elevator <clears throat> And the elevator opened on the next floor and then all the nurses went, I'm fine, I'm okay. And the kind of one of the nurses said, well, I, I guess you won't be needing this and took the wheelchair out of my arms, out of my hands and kind of so I pushed it back up and sort of walked back to my room and I phoned my mom and I said, like, do you mind coming to visit? I've got something to show you. Um, and, yeah, in kind of just in that moment – you know there's lots more details I can go into but I think what that that whole experience and the weeks that followed was and still to this day it's been over 20 years and what I have took away from that moment was that I that God didn't need me to fight harder or be stronger or do more what he needed me to do was surrender to and what he what he heard me say was I can't do this and he said well I can you know and he stepped in and that was just I know because I know because I know who God is 
from that experience. And I can't, um, yeah, just, just hearing it goes against the message that we hear so often, but, you know, you want to do more, be more, push more, and I can always say I can, but I, but I learned the power of saying I can't to a loving and gracious God who hears us, you know, and he, in that moment, I was lucky enough and I can never explain why, but he chose to, to not only hear me, but to heal me in that moment. Um, and I'll, I'll forever be grateful. And that, yeah, is yeah, part of my story, but that's just, that's, when I think of God, that's why it is, is the God that hears, hears me, not above everybody else or because of, but he just, he's my father. Um, creator God, all powerful, but he heard me in that moment. And um, yeah. Wow. What an incredible story. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is so crazy. And yeah, everything you said about that is just so beautiful. And the way, you know, you said you can't explain why it happened, but you're so grateful. And it's, it's just something God gave to you. Um, and that said, you said that happened 20 years ago? Yeah. 20 years More than ago. 23 years ago. Yeah. Wow. So kind of, yeah. And I'm sure people hear that and, you know, the way we're wired, we think, okay, well, that was the end of the story, you know, but your life has gone on, you know? So since then, what, what kind of things has God continued to do in your life? Well, I think that's kind of the full circle of why I serve with mercy ships. And, you know, mercy ships, we believe that we're, um, we, we're called to bring hope and healing, you know? And, you know, I didn't know at that point, I probably heard about mercy ships, but, but when I heard about it later, it was kind of that kind of, I was, I fully recognize whether it's, whether it, you know whether we call it luck or I think it's grace and mercy, and I received that in that moment along with all the medical care that I got, um, and what what came was what I lost when I didn't stood up and I couldn't walk was really hope, like I just was that devastating, like I didn't know whether what or how to think and anything that I had lent into before that or or depended on just seemed to 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 fade away and what hearing God's voice and seeing how he moved and he and he, knowing that he, he heard me was that hope that that beautiful amazing hope that that I, that he gives not not from a, a wish or a whim and that we said oh, I hope I'll do this but it was a it was that true sense of hope and Kind of also just having experienced just, you know, miraculous. I don't know why I don't like using the word miraculous. I don't feel like I deserve it. But he he healed in miraculous ways. The doctors can't explain. Even I had conversations with him afterwards. Um, it's just like there's no explanation other than uh, intervention. And, yeah, I'll take it, you know, kind of thing. But also... <laughs> And many times feeling unworthy of that. So kind of when there was an opportunity to to serve and to to do something with my life that was more than just yeah, well, bringing hope and healing through through the ministry of mentorships has been something that for me is about that full circle. Um, and although I'm as I mentioned, I'm not a medical person, it was just I can take what what God, I was a trained teacher, I could teach, I could do this. So kind of yeah, so I think that's 
that to me was kind of what what drives me whether I'm in mercy ships or I'm not is kind of how can God restore and redeem hard situations um, and what is he asking me to be part of whether it's sometimes it's even just having a conversation with somebody or listening to somebody else's story God has a beautiful way of using that to to restore and to to know that that person's being heard in that moment um, and to me that's the starting point of God working in so many ways so yeah I think for me that's knowing that God would kind of yeah redeems and restores and that's what he wants to do sometimes it takes lifetimes sometimes he chooses moments um but it's that's him that's what he wants you know for us amongst everything I love that. Yeah. I love that full circle element. Now, yeah. you said you've you've seen, um, you've had conversations with people. I'm sure you've seen some amazing moments working with Mercy Ships. Would you mind sharing some of the most encouraging or inspiring things that you've seen? Yeah, it was pleasure. Like, oh, I think, you know, think of a lifetime of them, but probably one of them that's the most powerful that I still probably will choke up telling was one of the programs that most, well, surgeries that um, mercy ships offer is um, like first year surgery that for women that have been in prolonged labor and often have lost their their child through the, that labor process, but also experience extreme damage that leaves them um, incontinent. And because of that, it's just really they're rejected from their families, they're rejected by their communities, and. Um, one, that's one of the surgeries we do is to restore that and to restore, yeah, just that, that damage so that that person can become restored into their community, that woman. And one of the one of the things that we do is on a is during this process because the ladies are with us for a long time um, as they're healing is before they go home they have a dress ceremony and they get it once they're healed they get a new dress they. And part of it too is they get to an opportunity to share their story um, so that they can speak out their voice and be heard in that moment as a part of the preparation to return to their communities. And I had the privilege of attending a number of them while I was on board, but one lady, um, she shared that she had had this injury for 26 years and she had lived like she had been lived on the outskirts of her community and just with that her her husband had had yeah rejected her her family had rejected her and she you know I, have to say, I don't even know how she survived but she said that she came to mercy she heard about it and she said she was very grateful um for the surgery she was grateful for the care she uh, for for that but what she wants to speak about to today was not not the surgery, not all the all of those wonderful things. She said, when I arrived, and they often, you know, they arrive, when the patients arrive on death, it's usually been a long journey. They've come from rural parts of the country, and she arrived, and our nurses waited her. They took her hand and they helped her shower and change and get ready for this. And she said. For, for her, that was the first time in 26 years that somebody had touched her. Mm. Um, and I just, my heart breaks that, that that people have to live with that sense of isolation, you know, kind of, and she said it was not, yes, she's grateful for the surgery and all of everything else that happened, but the fact that somebody just touched her and welcomed her and put their arms around her, 
where that was where the restoring and the healing kit started. Um, and that to me was one of the most powerful. I've got plenty more, but that's kind of the one that sits with me. It's like it's not, we can, yeah, it was the fact that it was such potentially small or insignificant thing that probably wasn't even factored as part of the experience from our perspective, but from her perspective, it was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. we never know what I'll, you know, what, yeah, what's going to make, start that process right. or connect with that person, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's putting yourself in a position to serve others and just being available for whatever <laughs> they might need. And I, I think also to the reminder, you know, probably repeating myself, but the reminder that it's sometimes it's just being there and available and kind of willing to do what whatever. It's not necessary that you have to be the ultimate, you know, the surgeon or the ultimate skilled or kind of it. It's just you just have to bring who you are and like what God's doing and be available just to be sensitive to to what he his Holy Spirit or just be there. And he uses that in the most powerful ways. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to ask because, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if COVID is the reason that you're doing something slightly different now, but what kind of impact did COVID have on what you were doing with Mercy Ships? Oh, actually, last week was a fairly big week. Oh, we celebrated many things. Um, Yeah, we were sort of out of Africa. We had to leave Africa. Uh, We were in Senegal, Dakar, Senegal, uh, Africa, Mercy. And we kind of spent 22 months waiting to go back again. Um, the ship was able to to find safe birth up in the Canary Islands um, and we did a lot of waiting. God used that time for us to do a lot of preparing, um, but we had we scaled back our crew and we scaled back our volunteers and we kind of just waited, had to wait out and also when kind of seek wisdom and when the best time to return is because we're a medical ministry we want to welcome patients on board but we also have a ship which is kind of a risky COVID experience so so it was a lot of a lot of waiting and anticipating um I wish I could say I I can speak personally I wish I could say I did all of it well but it was a long time you know oh it'll just be gone for six weeks well six weeks dragged on you know six months a year and we kind of just kept having to live through just like that anticipation and then the disappointment of we're not doing what God has asked us to do. So, yeah, from the school side, we were able to still run. We still had a small group of families on board, so we still ran a much smaller program, but we kept trying to keep faithful in in those moments of waiting. And then, yeah, this year has been a big year for us because we've now got – not only do we have the Africa Mercy from January was was back in service, we've also welcomed our second ship that we've been building. And both ships are actually side by side at the moment in Dakar. And we had the celebration last week of of really just God's faithfulness to us. Um, we're still not necessarily back 100% full ships full. We, we kind of, there's, there's a cautious season, but it's, but it's kind of at least we're doing part of what God has asked us, what we believe, and bringing that hope and healing um, through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a relatable sentiment, particularly for Christians who, you know, everybody went through COVID, but for those who kind of felt like they weren't able to do fully what God had called them to do, those who had to change assignments, who had to leave, who had to change what they were doing. and so much. 
Yeah. So that lost yeah. It's it was hard to get through. What what kind of did your relationship look like with God? I know you said it wasn't all yeah. done well, but I think we can all relate to that. And we, I would just love to hear kind of what your relationship with God looked like throughout that time. Yeah. I think I think for me, one of the lessons I well things that I ways that I turned my life is like even if things don't go according to my plan, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I kind of <laughs> that surrender has been a, is a continuous theme in my life. You know, I love to be able to plan something and for it to happen. And, it, well, COVID has been a long season of pretty much saying planning is to put aside and rather living in the moment and saying, okay, I'm not doing exactly what I wanted to do, but what do you, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? Um, what is, what is this waiting for? What is this, um, you know, even the fact that they kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm not married. So I was isolating on my own and was kind of like, what does what is what does that look like? You know, I remember like the one stage not seeing another human being for forty six days, and I was like, "This is crazy." Wow. But but kind of yet it was, yeah, it was like it was saying, "Okay, God, in this moment, what do you want?" As I said, not all of it was good, but <laughs> but it was kind of that again that sense of letting go and surrendering, and kind of for me it was a season of peeling back a lot of my expectations again and. Um, in many ways mirrored a lot of what, what happened 22 years ago, not as dramatic, thankfully, but it was that peeling back of kind of the layers that I had put on or the things that I had thought was important or that I wanted to do and just kind of say, okay, God, what do you want? Um, and kind of just letting those layers fall away, um, kind of feeling what feeling the loss of them too and kind of, yeah, I think not just... Yeah, and just saying, okay, what what's today? Um, there were definitely some seasons like what okay, what's today's assignment? What what's about today? Um, we got two weeks, we got two months, and it just feels like we're getting back to be able to say, okay, what like a bit longer, but yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's such a healthy um, perspective to have of just open hands each day. And that's what yeah. I hear so much on this podcast from so many guests. And I love it. Like just this perspective of God, what is it for today? And that's it. And we, by nature, I think a lot of people are not naturally inclined to do that and inclined to say just today, but. And I'll say, I guess it's not the message that we get given, you know, in the world around us. Like you've got to make it happen. You've got to do it. You know, and, can, and rather it's like saying, okay, our reliance doesn't need to be on ourselves. It has to has to be on God. Yeah. Um, one of the images, I'm, I'm very much a visual person and is was challenged many years ago and it's what I sometimes I physically have to sit and look at open hands and that was kind of saying, if we hold on to things, we can't receive things. But if we have this time saying, okay, God, you take what you need to take, leave what you need to leave, often we get far more, we receive far more than, than what we originally had. It mm-hmm. might be different, but but unless we have a stance in our in our hearts and our minds and our souls of saying, I think that you do, show show me or you place in my life what you want and I'll surrender the rest. You know, mm. to me that you know, some days I kind of find myself and I remind, have to remind myself, oh, you you've got clenched, you've got clenched fists again. And it's that physical obedience and action of just opening and saying, I think God, what are you? What do you want to do? 
um, and or take you know, one probably one of my favorite passages or one that I relate to most is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, your will be done, but if you can take this cup from me and kind of that, that he, you know, in my heart of hearts, I know that he wasn't, he wasn't wanting God to take it, like he would, he was prepared to do, but he, but he was also prepared to ask and God didn't take what his path was for us, which I'm grateful for, but, but, but he still had that intimacy and that relationship with God to ask um, and say, okay, your your will, and if it is your will, take my take this cup. Um, and that's just a beautiful moment of, yeah, what I try, I try to aim for, you know, I try to remember is I can ask and I can surrender, but I also, if God wants me to keep going, I'll I'll keep going. You know? Yeah. That's a great point they bring up. Just we do have vulnerability and we have moments where it's, you know, we're looking into the face of something and we may not, we may not be ready for it. We may not feel ready for it, but it's, it's this dual, this dual sense of both surrender, but then also just knowing we have that intimacy with our father that we can ask for those things. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of, yeah, it's a, as you say, it's a, both of those things. We can be strong and we can be vulnerable at the same time. Um, and we can ask to, for something to be taken from us and also accept that it's that it's what God's asking us to do. And they can both coexist at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like we are already out of time. Unfortunately, I I loved hearing your stories and just hearing you share. It just I could listen to you share probably about your mercy ship stories all day. But we are out of time. So with the last question, I just wanted to ask if you have any prayer requests that I and our community can be praying for you, um, for you and your work and just the mercy ships communities that you work with. I, I think it's just that that um. Well, mercy just from a work perspective and a personal, or from a, from as we continue to seek God and seek wisdom in, the, and we want to get back to fully doing, um, and we want more people to have access to that hope and healing, and what's the best and the wisest way to do that, um, and then personally, I think it's just, I just want to continue to have the wisdom and the courage to to be part of the restoration and the redemption process and either through obedience or by getting out of the way or doing every what is needed in that moment. So that those are just ongoing that I won't miss the moments that God wants me to, to speak into. Um, but also that I uh, that I will keep just keep my eyes focused on him and not be distracted by so much that's so easily distracting around us. Certainly. We will definitely be praying for that. Thank you so much again for your time and for sharing your story with us. (laughs) No, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.